April 11th at the screening room, we have our uh, comedy showcase. This time we have Jamie Kilstein, who was actually a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast. We also have Ali Musa, Tim Maggard, uh, Monty Benjamin. These are all a bunch of great local comedians. Yeah. Please come out to that show. Um, We've been talking about first times recently. What was your first uh, joke you ever wrote? You remember that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, actually, the very first joke I ever wrote is different from the very first one I performed on stage. But It always is. Yeah. The first one I wrote, well, I mean, I still do it every now and then, but it was it was the whole idea of how kidnapping victims find escape rooms offensive. Offensive, yeah. Yeah, so yeah that that's a good one. one. I'll tell you what, that's a good one, and it's a, it's a short one. Mm-hmm. I feel like everyone's first ones are always short ones. Well, the, well actually, I mean... T- be quite frank the, the that first one it was hella long it was actually really long. oh okay it was into, and like, you cut it down ariel castro who like you know locked those women in his house like it was a whole thing mm-hmm. and i i just remember like you know what the really only the only takeaway here is that first line of like isn't that weird you know yep so that was it the first time i ever uh wrote pen to paper for a joke i was in high school and i never i was i was into stand-up but i didn't i wasn't writing it as a stand-up and uh, my teacher invited her brother-in-law in to the class, and she gave me a dead stare and said, hey, in front of the whole class, like she's making an announcement, hey, my brother-in-law is coming in. He's the helicopter pilot for the police department. Let's give him the respect he deserves. <laughs> and what I heard was, I'm challenging you to write the best joke you can about my brother-in-law. Bring it tomorrow. Let's see what you got. That's what I heard. Mm-hmm. So, And then... I really realized like when Charlie Brown, when they were like, what, 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 what? I was like, oh, that's like for real. I get that now. <laughs> um, so the next morning I show up, the guy's like, hey, my name's John Smith. I'm the helicopter pilot for the police. And I, my hand just shoots in the air. Boom. So I guess it's true then. And he just looks at my teacher who is just fuming and then looks back at me and goes, so what's true then? And I said, so pigs really can fly. And the joke is really bad, but it killed with a bunch of 15-year-olds. And I remember looking back on it and being like, yeah, it's really all audience, mm-hmm. you know? That's, That's all it is. That's funny. Because it, it was just such a stupid-ass joke that actually killed. What, what was the first joke you ever performed on a stage? You'd be surprised. Would I? Well, it's not the one. So I didn't open my set with it, but it was the first one I wrote down yeah. for myself, which was the Fitbit joke. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Very nice. I wrote a different joke for this guy who used to do comedy back in the day. Um, It was kind of a silly joke. Uh, He was always scared that people were going to heckle him. So I I wrote up a joke for some drunk women that were heckling him. I'd be like, oh, man, you know what? I didn't pay homage to these women. Uh, These women are looking absolutely fantastic. They look like a million dollars. And then hard pause. In this economy... And he was like, yeah, I want to use that joke. I just don't think I'll ever get to. And yeah, that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. So that was a joke I remember writing that um, I never got to perform. But yeah, the Fitbit joke was actually the first one I ever nice. wrote down, mm-hmm. you know, word for word. Speaking of uh, first times then, uh, Eli WT, this is going to be his first time on a podcast uh, today. So that's going to be uh, fun stuff. Let's yeah. break him in, Chris. Yeah, that's who we have today for the Technique Podcast. We're bringing Eli WT, Keep Tucson Sketchy. Oh, real quick, Chris. You know, 
EliWT has a wonderful promo code that you can use uh, for Blue Apron, uh, the wonderful service food, right? I don't know. You hit them up on Instagram and you'll get that Instagram handle for Eli WT at the end of the podcast. Oh shit, that oh, is a good so you one. Got it. That's a teaser. That's what we call them. Hey Eli, you listen? That's a teaser. We got them in the studio. That's a teaser, Eli. They're going to stay tuned now. For the whole one <laughs> to figure out your Instagram's Eli WT. <laughs> oh shit. Oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> And with that sound of laughter, thank you for joining us at the Technique Podcast. Our guest tonight, Eli WT. Thank you for joining us, Eli. Happy to be here. Yeah. Let's just get right into it. Was that you? Yeah, I was oh, okay. clapping. I, I couldn't see your hands moving, but I was hearing applause coming from somewhere. <laughs> we got it piped in from the... Yeah, exactly. I was like, is Ty in the, in the booth? Like, just applauding into the microphone? <laughs> I Ty know. likes to mess things up, you know? He All likes right. to go hard. So how long have you been uh, doing stand-up comedy for? We were just talking about this. I have been doing stand-up comedy for, let's see, since July 6th, 2007, 2016. So three years and... And change. Some months. Yeah. Actually, Actually so have my you have the first, on me. You have the first uh, date. What was your first... Uh, where did you go? Screening room was my first... Uh, oddly enough. Dang. Screening room was my first set. I actually keep a count of my sets in my notebook. Oh, so wow. I see that sit, right now. That's actually pretty interesting. He has to sit here quietly for the 45 new, minutes while I count it up. Yeah, the numerical value of his sets. He's going to count them up. Oh, wow. Nick is going to clap when he finishes. No, it really is intricate. It's like somebody counting the days that they've been in prison or something. 162 from plus 151. So what's that? 313. Were you saying that you did it for a year and then took a break? Oh, I did it in high school for like a year and three months, Uh, but I don't really count that time because I was dog shit and um, 16 and didn't know. I had no perspective on the world. I was just like, so does that mean Jeremy can't count any of his? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Until he has a non-virgin joke. And just then kidding, Jeremy. I'll tell you what, I, I've, I have in my back pocket six minutes of uh, Long John Silver's employment material. <laughs> was it here in Tucson when you were 16? No, nah, this is back in Sacramento. Okay. Uh, did you go to comedy clubs? I, I'm always yeah. interested when people say when they're under 18 and they go to these comedy clubs and they're like, no, they just let me in. Let yeah. me tell some jokes. They were yeah, fine they, with it. Exactly. Just, yeah. They let it. They let me in. Some guy like would offer me drinks and stuff. And I was like, I drove. I was always, I'm like a super paranoid, like always afraid of being in trouble stuff. So I was like, no, I drove myself here. So I think I'll pass on the Red Bull and vodka. Thanks. I'll have just, I'll just have another Shirley Temple. You know, that was sure. pretty much sure my life. But yeah, I, they just let us let us in, and we would just sit in the showroom, and the lady would come over and hassle me, and be like, "You need to buy you two drinks." And I'm like, "I can't buy drinks." That's when you started buying those virgin daiquiris, yeah, and the five dollar Red Bull. <laughs> yep. So Eli, uh, let's ask the burning question that I'm sure most of us have for you, and that's what what does WT stand for? Oh, that's just my middle name and last name. So it's Eli William Turner. Mm. That's my signature is Eli WT, and so I just figured it's, you just it's, stuck with it. Yeah, I like it. I like it better. It's like a when I was in high school, I went by uh, Nigel on stage. I was a one name comic, and it was just Nigel. Did you do your British slash Australian accent? No, I just went. I was like, they'd be like Nigel, and then I'd go up and just be like, I'm an American teenager. Like, <laughs> and I, I would. I did do. <laughs> 
I had a bit on uh, the crocodile. Uh, the crocodile. What's his name? Uh, Hunter. The crocodile uh, hunter. Is that is that what they called? Yeah. Crocodile Dundee. Oh, Steve Irwin. I think it's different. Crocodile hunter sounds right, but it also sounds wrong coming yeah, out of my mouth. Like, I can't. I can't he, think he of what it would be. Them. No. He wrestled them and loved them. Maybe he was the crocodile hunter. Well, he did a lot with animals. This is yeah. irrelevant. Anyway, what were you talking I had about? a whole bit on him. Oh, anyway. So I did have some accent work in my... To go around with Nigel. But there was this Indian guy. His name was Tapan. And when he first time he, he like brought me up, he didn't know who I was. And he's like, well, coming up to the stage is Nigel. And I walked up. And, and then afterward, he's like, I can't believe you don't have an accent. <laughs> like he was, he's like, I, 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 everyone I know named Nigel is from Burton. And I was like, that's not even my real name. And he's like, that's weird, man. <laughs> uh, you were uh, born in America? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was born. <laughs> I am I just, a, I'm I, a U.S. I'm an anchor baby, but I wanted to. prepared that question. You know? <laughs> I know. I know. I can well, see I wanted to get into your British accent because I know that. Check uh, out these notes. Look at that. Oh, uh, yeah. All those notes on me. Because I know that. Yeah, those aren't notes on you. Those are dead notes right now. Uh, I wanted to get into your British accent because I felt like it was pretty on. Uh, it was one of your parents, a uh, British citizen. Is no. that where it came from? Or did you just pick up on it and go with it? I've just always been into doing accents and voices and. Um, I just like listening to them and practicing them. I'm like, I'll just walk around the house when I'm by myself, just saying weird things and accents and putting on accents for my students in classes and stuff like that. Like, I just, I just like doing accents. They're fun. And uh, I like listening to them and studying them and like hearing the differences between, cause like all these, there's so many different accents that like, like in Britain, every town like has its own accent. And then like, we think of America only has like a few accents, but if you go to the Northeast, like Pittsburgh has a different accent than the, the rural Yinzers and then Philadelphia has a different one than New Jersey and New Jersey's got like three different accents and then New York's got like eight. That's just the city alone. Like I'm just really into like checking, listening to accents and things like that and trying to figure out how like, Oh, where's this person from? I did, I did a, um, uh, AP grading in Florida this last summer. So I got to meet a lot of people from all over the country it was really interesting. Like, like I'll be like, are you from Virginia? And they'd be like, how did you know? It was pretty fun. We actually recently talked about accents and when I was actually researching it because uh, I'm interested in getting into them and the thing that they say is one accent will lead into another one so you'll get one like a British one and then that will lead into a maybe a shitty Australian one and then, then you perfect that one and that becomes like your mainstay and stuff like that. Yeah, they all, I mean, it's easy kind of to slip from one to the other. Like if I do an accent for a long period of time, it'll usually start to just kind of slip into other kinds. I'm not really good at doing it for a long stretch. But, I mean, um, I do – what was the question about? The, Just accents and how one – Oh, yeah, picking and putting them on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I will practice them for a while. Yeah. And when I went to visit my wife's family, they live they – they're from Philly. And so they have, like, a bunch of them have, like, thick Philly accents. And after spending, like, a whole, like, five straight days with them, after that I could do a Philly accent. Like, no problem. And I was oh, so yeah. excited. I was like, I have a new one in my arsenal. That's awesome. So uh, how often are you writing uh, new material um, on average, if you can like ballpark it for us? Because I know I, some of us see you at, you know, laughs on, you know, semi-regularly, um, but then some of the other open mics throughout the week, you know, we kind of don't really catch you there. So Yeah, as far as writing, I'm pretty much writing all the time. Not like, I don't like sit down and be like, I'm going to craft some jokes. Like usually it's like I'll think the way my writing technique is if I th I'll think of something funny and I'll put it down on my phone and my notes and then when it comes time to like do my comedy, like I've only been doing it like once a week recently, 
So I'll go to laughs and I'll sit down and I'll just scroll through my notes and I'll be like, okay, I can, maybe I can make a joke out of this or a joke out of that. I really prefer if I had more time to do it, to just sit down, go through my notes and just like hammer out for like hours on end. But usually my writing is just kind of like slapping it together. Mm-hmm. And so then how be, come we don't see you more at, you know, the surly wenches of the world? <laughs> uh, well, Keep Tucson Sketchy has kind of taken over my oh. writing time and life. So I spend a lot of time writing for them and like I'll write at home. So I'll spend a lot of my time at home instead of writing on my, my for my standup. I'm writing sketches. Um, I've been pumping a lot of those out lately and then go to writers meetings and then go filming on the weekends and then have rehearsals and things like that. So it just soaks up a lot of my time. Right. So I'm already outside out of the house like three, four nights a week because I keep two on sketchy. And then the one night it laughs and it's like, my wife likes to see me sometimes. Right. I don't know why, but she likes okay. to spend time. That yeah. makes more sense. So that's why I'm not out as much as I used to. When I first started though, I was, I was hitting like four, four mics a week mm-hmm. if, if not more. But, um, do you like to uh, write on stage when it comes to stand-up? Like, do you have bullet points and then take it on stage because you don't necessarily have the time that you want to put into it? Or I've tried that a couple times, and I'm not really that great on my feet. Um, I've slowly, I've gotten a little bit better. As I've been writing, like, sketch stuff, it's actually somehow, I don't know, it's, like, working my brain better. Because when we were in the writers' meetings, like, we'll be going through the scripts, and we're, like, throwing out jokes and being like, will this work or will this work? And you have to be kind of quickly because you're going through it line by line. And you're trying to come up with on the fly. So that's actually gotten made me a little better at the kind of like coming up, like in the moment kind of joke. So like tonight, I had I, I do just kind of have the set list with some bullet points, and some of the jokes are fully formed, and some of them are just like I have a premise, and I'm just gonna kind of put it out there. And then tonight, like I had one that I had the premise, and then uh, I had the joke mostly written out, and I tried it, and it worked. And then I just kind of started rambling, and I stumbled into another joke um, that I hadn't written that I just off the top of my head. And I was like, "Oh, that!" Like I could see it coming. I was like, "Oh, this is where this is going," and it's actually kind of good. And so I went with it. But I don't usually write on stage because I'm, I'm not. I don't think I'm too strong at that off the cuff stuff. But I think it, as I'm getting better I, uh, with like the quick the quick answer stuff. Um, yeah, it's it, feeling a little easier, maybe. With riffing with other comics, you're almost better riffing on stage kind of thing. Yeah, I feel, I'm usually a lot better, like, uh, just kind of, like, bullshitting and bouncing things off of people and um, or, like, giving feedback. Like, someone will, like, run a premise by me, and it's like, oh, I can come up with a bunch of tags for this, but for some reason, coming up with my own from scratch, I'm way worse. Like, I feel like I'm a lot worse at that. Like, I'm a much better editor than I am a writer, I think. Oh, okay, okay. So when you do, when you think back on some of the best jokes you've ever written, um, were those jokes kind of things that just kind of came to you already fully formed or were they things that you did have to kind of edit and and go back into a little bit with more depth? Well, I would say I have two jokes that I would say are my strongest jokes. And one of them, I actually, I I had sat down with my notebook and it was like, uh, I was doing the, like, this is like this jokes. I was like, you know, uh, like, uh, women are like black widow spiders because da, 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 like just like that real quick setup joke. And I wrote like 50 of them. And one of them that came out of me just forcing myself to write in this one very specific setup punchline style ended up being one of my best jokes. And I think it's actually my favorite joke that I've written, which is, um, kids are a lot like cars. They're a lot quieter after you buy a new belt. And so I was like, when that, when that came through, I was like, okay, this is good. I really like it. And it works really well on stage. But the other one, I was doing a bit um, 
where I talk about, and it was accent work, the one, the BBC joke where I talk about like, I think my wife thinks everything in the house is an international incident. And then I act out like reporting mundane stuff around the house, but a little bit of British accent. And then there's a tag at the end that, so I was doing that joke for a while. And then out of nowhere, I was sitting there just thinking about it and it just popped into my head fully formed. Like there would be a separate news story and it would be like, in other news, the great blowjob famine continues into its 11th year. And that, that's like my other, that, like, it's like my second favorite joke. And um, a lot of people, I think, I've had a lot of people say like, I really like that. And that one just kind of popped into my head when I was just thinking about my set. So, mm-hmm. so I've, I've had, I've come to two of my favorite jokes in two very like 90 degree different ways. Yeah. Um, that's funny that uh, just on a side note, you go to those two jokes as kind of the ones that hit you as your favorite because I'm sure, you know, Chris too, uh, when I think of you and some of the uh, my favorite jokes that you do, you know, I think of actually some other ones. So I think you got a lot in your arsenal for sure. I, I oh, agree. I, I immediately <laughs> thought of another one that you recently did and you're like i haven't done that joke for a while and it really killed and i and it made me think of like all the jokes that i have before that i thought were shitty i was like i should go back and see if those have any merit do you remember which one it was yeah um it was ramen soup is the alphabet oh yeah yeah ramen the, is the alphabet ramen, soup of the yeah. arab world yeah yeah i like I, th- I think that i'm i'm gonna sound really full of myself but i think that was pretty clever no i love that <laughs> I, one. I like that one i just hadn't used it in so long but it's like and see was that one that it just hit you or did you have to really work at it that one just popped into my head. Yeah, I was just sitting there, just thinking about comedy and trying, trying, you know, thinking about my jokes. And it was just like, because sometimes I'll try to just write one-liners, mm-hmm. but that one just popped in my head. Like I was, I think I was, I might have been eating ramen, and I was like, I was like, oh, like alphabet soup. Oh, this is like, like some letters, you know, some alphabets have like the squirrel, the squiggly letters. So it's like it's down. Yeah. So that one kind of came to me in about like five seconds. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're sitting down to write those one-liners or just any joke in general, are you? Do you have any specific subjects in mind that you're wanting to tackle, or is it just like, well, let's just see what comes into my mind right now? It's mainly just going through the notes. So it's like I thought of something humorous, and then so I take, so I write it down, and then I'll go like, and I write down like probably like fifty things a week, and so then when I'm going back through them, I'm like, okay, what was funny about that? And I'll try to think like, okay, what's funny? What's funny about this to me? And then how can I set like craft that into here's a setup and here's a punchline? Do I need to like? make a story like do I have to like make a narrative out of this and like make like pretend this happened to me or this happened to a friend or um or like you know is should this just be a one-liner and that kind of thing um Mm -hmm. or sometimes like I'll write I'll be like oh this was a this was a funny story that happened I should come back and try to write this out in a funny way sometimes so like the grinder story um I listen to, uh, I'm a big fan of John Mulaney and he ends his specials usually with one really long single story that he's punched up into this like really funny joke. And so like I, he's, he's my favorite comic. So I really wanted to like try to emulate that. So I would have to think like, what are, what, like, what are crazy things that have happened to me? What are these stories? So I'll go back and I'll write the stories out and then try to punch those up. And I've had, you know, middling success with some of those, but um, that's one thing that I really want to get good at is turning the stories of like crazy things that I've done or that have happened to me, which is not a lot. Like I'm a pretty boring middle-class white guy, but like there's a couple things, you know, like when I was uh, an accessory to felony arson when I was 10 years old and when I got arrested in high school, 
um, for having a weapon on campus, <laughs> on a school campus. And that was also a felony. Nice. So you want to re- turn the ridiculous stories in your life into funny stories that can go into your act. Yeah. 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 And like I got robbed at gunpoint one time. And so like that one, I want it to be a funny story because it's like that was like a that was like a crazy, scary thing. And it's kind of nice to engage in it in a much more positive way. Like I'm not like traumatized by it or anything, but it's like that was a pretty horrible thing that happened. But I can I maybe I can make something like funny out of this and yeah. make it turn into something more positive. So it's not just like, oh man, wasn't that a horrible thing that happened to me? It's like, yeah, it was because there was a lot of absurd things that happened during the robbery. And so there's a lot of things I could pull out. Like, like well, I turned like I opened one register and I turned to the guy and I, I was handing him the money and then I said, Do you want the other register? It's like what? Who would say oh, that? And even he was looking at me like, "What did you? Are we doing this together? Or? Yeah. <laughs> are you on my side?" Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so and he was like, uh, uh, "Yeah, yeah, okay, give me the other one." I was like, and then I like looking back later, I was like, "That was so stupid." He was ready to go. Like yeah. he's, he's standing there holding a gun in my face, and it's just like, "Do you want more money? <laughs> Do you want me to help you carry movies to the car?" <laughs> Do you have any premises that you stay away from? Like, do you not like to do political stuff? Do you not like to gross people out or anything like that? I'm not worried about the gross out stuff at all. I'm not really worried about dark stuff at all. I'm pretty, I've got some pretty like questionable race (laughs) and uh, gender stuff that I, that I've tried and that works pretty well. And I'm not super proud of some of it, but, um, but so I don't really steer away from much except uh, I don't really dig the political stuff. It's not because I don't want to do it. It's not like, oh, I don't want to be a political comic or like I don't want to piss people off by touching the wrong subjects. It's just it, – it's just – it's so – well, first of all, like you have to stay up on like everything that's happening and like write tons of stuff about current events to do to be a good political comic. And secondly, things are just so absolutely fucking insane right now. That it's like you can't. I can't write anything about this, you know, because like in in comedy, you're you're like you're releasing tension and and you're 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 digging into things that are like pointing out, you know, pointing out the absurdity in these in these common things. And it's like we're already way past absurd. Yeah, you're trying to point out some surreal things, and then I feel like you bring it up, and an audience member will turn and go, "Wait, is that real?" Yeah, it's like, like 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 logic transfers are really common way to do a joke. It's like this person said this. That would be like if I went to my wife and I said this to her and it's yep. like we point out the absurdity. Well, it's like, well, Trump did this. It's like, oh, well, the absurdity That's is present in the actual thing. Yes. And so it's just it, it's it's not it's not even like low hanging fruit. It's just it's like impossible to me to, to make anything really that funny out of it because it's just it's just so fucking crazy. It's just so crazy right now. I wonder if there's a premise in that actually. Like, what if you reverse engineer that? Like, what if you, the logic transfer is taking the absurd and applying it to normal situations? <laughs> oh, I love that. Like, yeah. We, maybe yeah. we can fuck with that a little bit. I like that. <laughs> that. That's really the only way I could picture doing that, I guess, now that you mention it. Because, yeah, it's, I don't know, we're just so far in the realm of just batshit insanity that I can't really even like, dip your toe in. I, I'll, I'll write, I write, I've written some political jokes for keep Tucson sketchy. Cause we have what's called a scorcher report. And it's kind of like the weekend update mm-hmm. for SNL. Um, and I've written a lot of jokes for that. And a couple of them have been political, but it's not really, it's more, it's not really about the politics of Trump because Trump isn't really political and he's not much of a politician. He's not a politician at all. He's just this crazy person. And so it's more just like, 
making jokes about the craziness around him. Um, or like, uh, let's see, like I, uh, Roger Stone, that's kind of like a, that's kind of a political thing because it was Trump's friend and he got arrested and charged and convicted of doing these things um, for Donald Trump, like to benefit him. But the joke had to be about what a crazy person he was and like how he dresses. So we just wrote like a bunch of jokes. So like it's a political topic, I guess, but I don't really see it as like a political, as them as political jokes. Do you, do you find that not taking a side in the political jokes, almost just uh, pointing out the absurdity would be maybe a better thing? Because uh, <clears throat> I feel like a lot of the times when you're pointing it out, if they're not on your side, they immediately like, oh, you're attacking me and what I believe in almost, even though political ideal shouldn't be like that. I mean, it's a risk to alienate the audience for any of stuff like that, but that's not why I avoid it. Like, I'm not like, oh, I don't want to turn the audience off. Like, yeah. one, like I, one time I just went up at laughs with a guitar and I just sang the words, fuck Donald Trump for three straight minutes. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Listeners I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, we apologize. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, like WT is on, on his own thing. <laughs> that, one, that was really funny though, because, uh, I don't know if you guys know Leland Long. I know Leland. Yeah, Leland. I was like, I'm doing a song. And he's like, okay, cool. I'll come check it out. And so he came in the showroom and then I started singing it. And then like 30 seconds in, he realized like, oh, this is all he's going to sing for three minutes straight. But he didn't want to look like someone that came in and was offended at my song. So he just like had to sit through my three minute stupid song because he didn't want to look like someone that would that was offended by it. Like he walked in and was just like, fuck Trump. What's this guy's problem? God, this is attacking me. So how has your experience in Keep Tucson Sketchy uh, uh, furthered your growth as a stand-up comic? Um, Is there any correlation? I think it's actually kind of hindered it because I just because it's taken up so much of my time and energy. You know, Mm -hmm. I haven't been writing anywhere near as much. I mean, I still write about as much comedy. It's just it's all like sketch stuff. And um so yeah, it's, that, that kind of just eats up a lot of my time. But coming out on stage here and doing a mic that wasn't laughs and doing a five-minute regular open mic again and doing all new stuff, almost exclusively all new material, um, I, did, I did feel a different... Uh, it felt a little different, um, like some of the riffing on stage and stuff. And I felt like a calmness that I haven't usually felt before. So I think maybe it's trickling in in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause, but because like sketch is so different, you know, like you memorize lines and you go up and you perform these lines with other people on stage and stuff. And so I think it's just a different way of getting of, of like doing stage time, I think. And, and, and I think it's it's kind of made me just a little more comfortable, maybe. But um, those are really the only benefits. And I think it maybe has made me a little bit quicker with the riffing stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, for the most part, it's really just <laughs> just eating up all my time from stand up. So. What are your uh, ambitions when it comes to comedy? Like, you, you got any specifics in mind? Uh, my ideal, like, dream dream would be um, if I don't make it as, like, a touring stand Well, I guess even if I did make it as, like a, like, a touring headliner and that was my primary job, my ultimate dream would be to be writing for, like, television or movies. Okay. Like, that's, that's where I would really like to go. I think I'm a better writer than I am a performer anyway. I enjoy writing more than performing, oddly enough. Like I like, I really, really like the just like sitting there and, and writing stuff out and creating things from scratch and then going and editing them 
with other really funny people. Um, so like that would be, that would be the jam, you know, like writing for like SNL or, uh, just any, <laughs> any comedy, uh, thing in general. Yeah. Have you ever written anything other than sketch and stand up? Like have you ever done scripts or, uh, I took a screenwriting class in community college and we, um, we had to write the first 30 minutes of a script, but I mean, I was, I was, this is again, like, I feel like I didn't really become a person until I was like 25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like, I look back on those times when I was like 19, like trying to write this script for this class and it's like super forced and it wasn't creative at all. And it was, it was, it was such a, it was such a stupid idea for a script. But since then I feel like I have a lot better ideas. I just don't really have time to like sit and write them out. But, um, I have done some creative writing. Like I've, I've, I've had some poetry and some short stories published in like, um, like school literary journals. And, um, I wrote this one story that I loved that, uh, my teacher loved and, um, I just haven't done anything with it. And this was back when I was like 24, 25. And I think it's a really good story. I should probably just submit it somewhere. It's also really long. It's like 35 pages or something. Like tech, I think it's technically a novella. <laughs> if you look at like definitions of novella, it's a certain number of words. And this is like over 10,000 words, something like that. 20,000. That is something that, uh, it's funny you mentioned that your ambitions include, you know, like ideally writing yeah. uh, in some capacity because you said yourself that you're a better writer than you are a performer. Um, and that's, uh, it's funny you say that because I do consider you, and I've had this conversation with others who agree, is that we we consider you one of the better writers in the, in the scene. <laughs> oh, thank and you And that's why I, I, uh, when I asked you that question earlier about why we don't see you more often at, at particular mics, uh, it, it came from a place of, I want his material more. <laughs> I want to hear more about, you know, your body keeping chicks from getting wet. You know? <laughs> I want all that kind of stuff, you know. Oh, that one, I love. I like that joke too. Yeah, I remember. I, That's that the one, one I think of when I ask. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was one that uh, I was just dicking around on the internet and I saw the bird and it was just like, oh, this body is stopping chicks from getting wet. And it's like, oh, there's the fully formed joke ready to go. <laughs> Thank you very much, though. I, I like, I like hearing. I, I feel like that's probably the most common compliment I get. Uh, like specific compliments, people will be like, "I really like your writing," and I'm like, "Yeah, I think that's probably the stronger part of my repertoire." Mm-hmm. Well, some people really have that stage performance down. Oh yeah. And there, and you can kind of tell after you done co- comedy for like six months, you're like, their writing really is not that strong. Yeah. But they can really hit a joke and know how to present a full set. And then other people, you're like, that joke's wonderful. You need to learn how to get, you know, that's why you're so good because you're, you're in between, you know what I mean? Like your stage performance isn't the best, but your writing is so better than everybody's. <laughs> that it's, yeah. I wouldn't even, Thank you. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I, I think your, your presence on the stage is, uh, it it suits you and your style of comedy. So I wouldn't even necessarily think like, uh, you know, I don't want you to go home and think like, oh, fuck, I got to be more performative. No, I, but it's, you I, know, wouldn't. I I think, yeah, it works out for you. Yeah, I think I just, I think I'm a decent medium for my writing. But uh, like now that I've done this Keep Tucson sketchy stuff and I've seen people performing my jokes, it's like, oh, That's there are people that, yeah, <laughs> there are people that can, like where I can do my thing thing that I think I'm strong at, which is writing, and then have other people perform it better than I can perform it. And it's like, oh, that's how it's, that's the best way for it to work out. But I know what you're talking about. I mean, there are comics, there are like top level comics I see perform or I've heard their material like a, like multiple times. And you think about it, it's just like, man, this is, 
it is, this is 90% them selling mm-hmm. the audience on it. It's just like they're so animated and they're so into it that it's they're convincing the audience that it's funny because they're coming across as thinking like they're so sure that it's funny that the audience laughs along with them because it's like, yeah, that must be funny because he's so confident that it's funny. And a lot of times they're like half-baked premises that aren't fully formed yeah. and you're just like, all right, let's just go with it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just really it's energetic rambling. And it's yeah. just like, well, I mean, if it, 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 there's all different kinds of comedy. And all yes, different that's definitely, and, yeah. Some works for some people. Some people write on stage and they're really great at it. And then some people do all the writing off stage and they're great on stage anyway. And that is that's an interesting insight because I was watching some old <coughs> Seinfeld episodes recently and he, they always have the, his clips of his stand up before and after a show. And uh, some of the things that he would say, you know, I mean, I, I'm a Are big in the fan show. of Seinfeld anyway. But yeah, but like some of the things, you know, just like it's like, oh, well, that's not, oh, you know, I wouldn't. I, that's not something I, I would laugh out loud at, you know, but just the way he just presents it, people are like, oh, this is this is wonderful. Yeah, he points out things that aren't especially absurd, but then he talks about it in a way that it's so absurd that, like, isn't this hilarious how crazy this thing is? And then you think about it and you're like, I mean... Then- it's his. It's his, he sells it so well, yeah, and exactly. that's something that I'm. I was thinking about. I'm like, man, I want to. You know, I gotta. We we just gotta sell it sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, there are a couple of jokes I have where I don't think the writing is very good at all, but then I get like really animated and do a silly voice, and people love it, and I'm like, I don't really even like that joke, but it works. So I mean, and I'm here to make people laugh. I'm not here for my own purposes. Like I'm here to make them laugh, and so. That's one big thing that was different from between when I was 16 doing comedy and now in my 30s doing comedy is back then I would stress out um, because I would do a joke like twice and then when I'd go up I'd, I'd, I could hear that I was just reading the joke basically and I have no energy and a joke that worked the first couple times doesn't work anymore because I'm bored with it and so they're obviously going to be bored listening to me do it. Now in my 30s I focus more on the audience reaction. And so I don't really get tired of my jokes. I can say the same joke 30 times. And as long as it's working every time, it's like, I, I'm saying it, you know, the way that works. And then I'm listening to them laugh and it's like, okay, that's why I'm here. And I just, I just focus on that. I just like, okay, I, I, I hear that laughter and that's what's right about this. Yeah. I had a, a new comic come up to me and ask, cause he was like, I really don't have that much material. I have like five minutes altogether. And I'm scared to go to all these open mics because I'm just doing the same set over and over and over. And I was like, that's great. Right now you should do the same set over and over and you should lock it in. And he goes, well, all the comics, like, don't you think they're going to get annoyed with my jokes? And I was like, none of the comics are listening, unfortunately, to your set, buddy. Like, unless you're like a really close friend to somebody, they're probably not going to listen to your set. Or also, yes. And And they don't care and you're not, performing for them that was the thing because all open mics pretty much are all comedy based you know it's just you're doing your jokes in front of a comedian but your real the real point of this is doing jokes in front of a real audience so their reaction really shouldn't matter i think there's something to be said for just standing on stage and and just having the words come out of your mouth Mm -hmm. and then getting comfortable with saying those words into a microphone in front of people and the other thing is, I mean, yeah, they are going to get tired of it, but literally everyone does it and everyone's tired of it. And that's just the part of the game. When you go to an open mic and it's all comics, everyone knows they're going to hear a bunch of stuff they've already heard before. And they're going to be doing a bunch of jokes they've already seen, that they've, that they've, all, they've already done to these people. And 
that's part of the game. But on the other hand, I had kind of liked that when I when I when I was doing more of the open mics because I'd see the same faces and it's like, oh, they've all heard these jokes a hundred times. So that's gonna challenge me to bring out my new stuff. Like I don't wanna bore them. Like they've heard me do my BBC voice I don't know how many dozens of times. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna go dig up something new and see if I can make them laugh with something that they haven't heard before because I know they like I know when I'm sitting down sitting down there and I hear you know, someone hear <laughs> Jeremy do the bulletproof Twitter joke again. I'm like, I've heard this so many times. Like, please, please write something new. <laughs> and that I feel like I'm doing the same thing to other people. So it's like, okay, I got to keep trying, digging out new stuff. Like tonight, I didn't know what was coming. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who was going to be in the audience. And it turned out to be mostly comics. And so I was like, okay, I'm really glad I brought a bunch of new stuff I haven't done. Another thing I really enjoy about going to a bunch of open mics is seeing the evolution of a joke. So sometimes, like we were saying, a joke can pop into your mind fully formed, but then other times you can see literally like a half-brained or like a half-baked idea. They're just like, I don't know what that is right now. And then like three weeks later, it's like a solid joke. You're just like, that was pretty cool to kind of just witness this evolution of this idea, you know, come to fruition. And yeah, I I really enjoyed that because I host the this weekly open mic, so I really see that all the time now is jokes that go places and then jokes that really don't you you could see a joke you're just like you don't do that joke anymore (laughs) yeah i uh i i think i would talk to roxy recently um she went to a bunch of shows that olivia grace was on like Mm -hmm. over like a span of like a week and a half and she saw olivia try this joke out for the first time and then the next show she saw her tweak it and then like by the end of like this 10-day stretch like she got to see this 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 joke go from like literally the first time she tried it on stage to this like fully formed really good joke because of course with Olivia Grace it's only going to take ten days mm-hmm. to turn something in from the very basic idea into like straight up gold because she's fucking brilliant. Um, but yeah, it's really cool like being able to see things develop like that. Um, I, I, I when I first started I would watch a lot more sets than I do now. Like it's pretty rare that I'll sit and watch the whole open mic at laughs. Um, but that's part of the same thing that we were just talking about is because like so many of these I've heard so many times before. It's exactly. Like, I can only listen to the same three minutes from this person uh, so many times. There's a lot of jokes that I could do myself, you know, like yeah. not, and that's the thing is that's why I can tell going up and repeating jokes over and over is so helpful because when I try and do somebody else's joke, like I tried to do your ramen joke earlier <laughs> and I messed up the words because I've never said it before. Yeah. It's one of those things where you need to know exactly the cadence that you wanted and all that shit, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I also used to, I, I still record literally all my sets, but I used to listen to every set. Um, and that helps, I think with the writing process with that cadence that you're talking about, because you get to hear what other people hear. And so then you can figure out like, maybe I should put a pause here. And it's like, if I pause here for a certain amount of time and then drop that punchline, it'll land harder. So then you can tweak the things and take notes. And um, so if anyone is newer to comedy that doesn't, that listens to this and doesn't record their sets, you need to start recording your sets right now and you need to start listening to all of them. Even if you're one of those people that hates the sound of their own voice, like buck up, bitch, you got to do it. Like that's the, that's the best way to get good faster is to listen to your own sets and critique them honestly. Hashtag buck up, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) With the exception, I do have one set that I, I, it's the worst set I've ever had. It was at Mr. Head's. It was 10 straight minutes of dead silence. 
Um, and it wasn't, actually I shouldn't say dead silence. I should say aggressive silence. They were like mad at me for every single second that I was up there. For ruining their night. <laughs> and, and the guy who was running the mic, he was like, if you're dying up there, I'll light you early, but you have up to like eight minutes. And then like six minutes in, I'm like, why has he not lit me yet? And I look over and he's just like dicking around on his phone. I was like, I'm just going to tough it out. Like I might as well just finish this out. And, uh, and I did it. And uh, Mr. Heads was a, was a boiler maker, but I'm really glad I did it because uh, now I know where the bottom is. Yeah. Like there's no set that I can do that could be worse than that. Like I've had horrific bombs and I'll walk off stage and I'll be like, man, that sucked. But you know what? It was better than that night of Mr. <laughs> 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 I had the best heckle that I've ever had at that, uh, at that mic. So I was trying out some new stuff. I did like two or three. So it used to be, there was a screening room Wednesday nights at like seven o'clock. And then everyone, after that, everyone would go to Mr. Heads for the show at 10 o'clock. And so I tried out some stuff and I was like, okay, this stuff is kind of working. This stuff's not working. So I changed up my set and I went there and I was like, I did like, like the first two minutes of all this like kind of newer stuff. And I was like, and it was just eating shit so bad. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll just do the one joke that I know always works because that'll, you know, at least they won't, they won't, I won't walk away with them being like, I, I want this person to die immediately. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I'm going into the gold, gold material. So I did the joke and I had this setup and I landed super hard on the punchline, like ready for the laugh. And it was dead silent for about five seconds. And then one guy just goes, <laughs> Like just really, really forcefully cleared his throat and like, and he was right in front, dead center. And I was just like, man, no one's ever gonna heckle me better than that. Like, yeah. <laughs> you emphasize the silence so much more than the silence was already. And silence in comedy is already bad enough. So yeah, I've you never listened to that. It. Yeah, you can almost feel the silence when people are paying attention to you, engaged to you, engaged with you, and they're just like. I'm not going to make a single sound. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, damn it. I'd rather be ignored. Yes, by the you'd rather be ignored. Yes. Than to have them actively listening, making uh, all of them making eye contact, mm -hmm. laughing hysterically at the person before me and at the person after me, but like really paying attention. And just like, you can see that they're, they were mad at me <laughs> for 10 minutes straight. And it was just, I was just like, I just walked out of there. Like, it's not, I never had any of those moments where it's just like, man, I should quit comedy. But I, then I was walking out, I was like, is this as enjoyable as I think it is? <laughs> like, wow, God, that was just like so, it was because it was painful and it was really long. <laughs> it was one of the longest sets I had done at that point. I was only been doing it for like three months. I'd never done 10 minutes. I did 10 minutes of that. Oh, it was, so yeah, that's the one set I won't, I refuse to listen to. There's actually some benefit to them actively listening and not laughing <laughs> as opposed to them ignoring you because then you know like, okay, this material Maybe I gotta just you know do something with it. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever do Mr. Heads? Were you here? No, early I wasn't. For that? No, and you definitely didn't. Wow, Mr. Heads was great because somebody uh, got <clears throat> impaled by the fencing. Oh, fence that was or something. Yeah, right? yeah. Someone um, is that why they stopped it? Or? Oh no, no. That, oh, okay. that was when it was pretty new, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, that was a fun story. Some someone was someone got kicked out, and then someone he was like pacing around outside the fence. And some one of the comics was still making fun of him, so a guy tried to climb over the fence, and then he slipped, and the uh, one of those spikes at the top of the fence yeah, like went when, into his arm. And there's a picture out there on the internet somewhere. Someone wrote up a thing for like the Tucson Review or something. There's a picture out there oh. of the meat from the guy's arm still on the 
There's like a little on bit the of hook, fat yeah. and blood and stuff on yeah. So Yeah, but, I remember because in that time my friend was doing stand up comedy and I wasn't and I actually wrote some jokes for him <laughs> and he came back and he just goes, Man, those jokes you wrote for me at Mr. Head's killed. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what does killed mean at Mr. Head's? So like two people were like, ah <laughs> Mr. Head's was crazy because you would get basically as long as it was outdoors, indoors was always the same thing, and that was uh they re the people really didn't want you there. Yeah. So we usually had it outside. We don't have it inside because it was ra- if it was raining. And I think I only ever did two of those. But uh, it was it was crazy because outside you would have four different types of shows. You would have the show where um, there's a ton of people and none of them are paying attention. Uh, there's one where there's uh, and, and so like or, or like there's a ton of people and they and they're not. It's like the show's just kind of being um, like it's just happening in front of them. There's a show where there's a ton of people and they're super engaged and whether they're loving it or hating it, they're super engaged. Sometimes it would, sometimes it would be a great crowd, sometimes not. Or you would have very few people and no one's listening. You'd have like two people out there and they're not paying attention. So you're literally performing to like an empty room or you'd have like three people and they're listening and they're loving it. So like those were like the four types of shows that you would have there. Um, So it was, it was crazy because I mean, most of the time they didn't want us there. Yeah, I'm sure. Like you go out drinking on a Wednesday night and then it's just like, like a show starts in front of you. It's like, I just came to get drunk. Like there there were times we would start the show uh, outside and like the minute the first comic started, it was usually Polly Polly Casillas because he would usually run it. Uh, He would, he would go up and he'd be like, all right, we're going to start the show in about five minutes. Um, and sometimes, like the whole crowd would just get up and go inside. Yep. Like they would all leave. Like I don't want anything to do like, with this. I didn't, I yeah. didn't come here for a fucking comedy show. <laughs> it's like it's forced upon them. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're game, and a lot of times they were not. But either way, you never knew what you were getting. But one way or another, like that shit toughened you up. And it wasn't just because of the bombs. Like the bombs were different there. Like the bombings were uh, rough. A bomb at Mr. Head's was like particularly like even though you would go in expecting it more than almost anywhere else, it was mm-hmm. still like it still hurt. Whew, it hurts more than like going to dead silence to ten people at the screen. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> as it relates to your desire to even get into comedy in the first place, why? Why did you? What is it about the comedy that made you want to get in and now stay in? Oh, I grew up uh, just obsessed with stand-up comedy, like, from when I was, like, 10, 11 years old, like, watching George Carlin. Um, like, 12 years old, I think, was when Chris Rock, Bigger and Blacker came out. Uh, I think it was 14 when uh, Robin Williams Live on Broadway. Uh, I had a couple of David Cross albums in high school that I used to listen to, and, like, I had those, like, memorized. The uh, Square Bagels. Squaggles, Squaggles, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that was my high school jam too. I was so into that. I and love that album so much. Yeah. The 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 redneck bar fight when mm-hmm. he's like yelling, he's like, "You hope that can worms climb worms will climb up on John the Great will make big worm." <laughs> just every every those two albums. Shut up, you fucking baby, and uh, um, I think it's that's not funny or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely shut up, you fucking baby. It was a double CD. I remember my grandparents would come visit. <laughs> I, like, I think I was like 14. My grandparents would come visit us uh, for Thanksgiving every year. And then the day after Thanksgiving, we'd go to the mall and they'd buy us like one thing. And so we went to the record store when those were a thing. I think it was Camel Records. And we went in and I was like, oh, David Cross. I've seen his stuff on HBO. I really love it. And it just said, shut up, you baby, on it. And uh, my grandparents are very like, 
not like no cursing, like really mm-hmm. kind of not like they're not uptight, but they're definitely not like chill with drugs and alcohol and cursing and stuff like that. So, <laughs> uh, we walked out of the, the, out of the records and I'm sitting behind my like uptight grandparents and I opened up this double CD and, and then the, and the little cardboard thing slid away and it said, shut up, you fucking baby. Like it just huge letters. And I'm like, oh my God, my 70 year old grandparents just bought me this album. They have no idea. <laughs> I bet that was great though. Getting it, it home. So. I bet, oh, yeah. yeah. It was amazing. Like I'm getting away with this. <laughs> yeah. I got I, the same thing happened with uh, chronic 2001. I also bought that one for me and, uh, yeah, that was another one I got away with. Because before, like when I was like twelve, they we would go like when we went to a regular store, they'd, they'd have to they'd had have to buy the edited ones. Mm-hmm. Like they they had like this whole discussion with like a record store clerk, like, uh, so how do we know whether this is an explicit album or not? Like how do how can we tell? And they're like, well, I mean, if it says explicit on it, it's explicit, but not if it doesn't have the explicit, like it, the, the the artist, like they had this whole explanation, and my grandparents were like. Mm. I don't know if we can buy this one. <laughs> that man sure looks awfully rappy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he looks like one of those thugs. Yeah. Oh, he looks. He he's 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 definitely said the n word a couple times on his albums. So, what was it about your, um, you know, infatuation with all these comics growing up that made you want to get into it yourself? Oh, like I would co- I would go to school and I would repeat the jokes to my friends and like I was always I moved around a lot as a kid. Like I only lived in two different cities. But I moved schools like eight times between kindergarten and um, high school. And so one of the things I relied on was like my sense of humor and like like being like aggressively trying to be funny to my friends, like to new people and stuff. And so that's kind of how I um, managed to um, like make friends going places. And uh, I was always like the funny guy. Like that's how that's I kind of had to do that. And, um, so part of that was I would come and I'd repeat jokes that I'd heard, um, on HBO or, uh, in my, in the comedy albums and stuff. And I'd tell them to my friends and they'd be cracking up and I was like, I should, why don't I just do this myself? And so I was 16. I was just like, I've got a car, I've got a license. I'm open, you know, I'm free on Wednesday nights and there's a weekly open mic downtown. And I'll just drive down there and do some fucking comedy and try it out. And I wasn't very good, but then, um, I don't know what made me restart. Like, I just kind of was just like, oh, yeah, I used to be stand-up. Maybe I should try it again. And then I just looked up when the open mics were, and I just started writing stuff down and then just pulled the trigger one day and just walked out. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do it. And I'm really glad I did. This is, like, my favorite thing. Yeah, definitely. I, fucking, I love comedy. I live comedy. I think about it all the time. It consumes all of my real responsibilities. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just I'm, I'm, I'm in love with it. It was really helpful for me growing up, moving to new schools all the time. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, I, I see it as like the right art for me. And I really like creative work and art and stuff like that. And so it feels like it's one that I can be good at and it's one that I particularly love to do. Uh, so I just leaned into it, you know. Nice. I think you articulated your love affair with comedy and, and how much it means to you better than any of our other guests so far. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just true. love it. I just, I, I like to listen. I love listening to, it. I, I teach it to my students. I do a lecture on, um, I call it the, the rhetoric of, uh, the rhetoric of self-perception. And so I play a clip. So it's like Kyle Kinane. Um, he's got a couple bits. He's got the one where he takes a shit in a cholo bar. Uh, and then he's got a bit where he's taking care of his friend's kids at a pool. 
And uh, so there's that. And then John Mulaney, he's got a couple of bits about blacking out and they, he plays with perspective in some really interesting ways. And so I teach the lesson as like, Oh, like look at these people who tell it, who are paid to be self-aware telling these stories about the, the, the tension in that self-awareness and how uh, interesting they are. Um, but a big part of it is just like, I just want to be like, Hey, I love these comics. Like, look, I have 20 people in a captive audience. You guys are going to listen to my fucking favorite comics right now. <laughs> and I just tweaked it to make it into a lesson. But it's like, I won't, I want you guys to hear this. And then at the end I played, I just play like three of my favorite clips. <laughs> so like I do like a 30 minute lesson. That's a real lesson. And then the next 20 minutes are just like, all right, you're going to listen to some John Mulaney now just for fun. But do you think it helps them with their writing, with their story structure, that kind of stuff? Because no, I know, not no, at all. Okay. no, because I don't teach it. I don't teach it to have anything to do with that. Okay. My class is, uh, it's much less a writing class. I don't really focus on as much on teaching writing and writing style and like mechanics and grammar and things like that. My class is much more a thinking class. I try to teach them critical thinking and analytical skills. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Do you think it helps them with storytelling? So not necessarily mm. story writing, but like the structure so like jokes always have a structure right. like uh and do you think that helps them or do you think that they don't even necessarily see that and they just kind of see jokes i think they probably just see jokes because okay. i don't i don't come to them i don't, with, I, I don't that? yeah i don't come yeah. to them like hey let's think about the story structure of this it's more like oh let's look at the way this he has like let's just look at his perspective his in perspe- this story yeah okay so um yeah so i don't really angle like that i mean i, I see i totally see how that could work, how that could be helpful for someone to do that. Um, and maybe I will do that, but also I do way at the end of the semester. So I know I'm like trying to incorporate it into like a lesson plan. It's sort of like we're in, we're at the end of the semester. We've got like, you've already turned in your final project. We've got two days to kind of burn. Like, why don't I spend one of these days teaching you something that's kind of cool, but it's also super fun. And it's like, like kind of coasting into the end of the semester and And something that you love. Yeah, so something I love. So yeah. I'm like really into it, and, and and you can tell with like I've I've watched other teachers teach, and uh, there's a huge difference when someone's teaching something they're interested in, and they're excited about, mm-hmm. and that really rubs off on the students. And then there's stuff where it's like they're required to do it, or they're not really interested, or they're kind of checked out, and that translates to the well, students too. You can see that with an audience with comedy when you're, you know, when you're really into a joke, or mm-hmm. you can. They re- it resonates with them because you can see it on on the comedian's face. You're like, this guy's really into this. Yeah. And then other times you're just like, this guy's just really going through the motions. He yeah. doesn't give a shit about the American whatever I was. Yeah, like every th- like every time I would tell a joke for the third time when I was 16, that's exactly what the audience was probably exactly. feeling. It's just like, yeah, I don't I don't think he thinks this Long John Silver bit is all that funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to do it? Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, we like to end the podcast. We like to ask the comedian that we brought in if they would go on a fictional tour they can bring three comedians they can be alive or dead or even local if you're gonna you know reach that low down um but you know what uh and there's no order so you're not opening but it would be like a tour with you and three other comics oh a comedy tour i was yeah. thinking i was like sorry I was like, I kinda, like a tour of like a haunted mansion yeah, like <laughs> kind of threw that out weird he said a fictional right. tour i'm just like uh <laughs> that's true i did put it yeah yeah i was like oh yeah, I, guess, I guess i a would comedy be, fictional I, I guess narnia with george yeah. kylan i don't know <laughs> hogwarts yeah. with john mulaney i don't um let's see uh well definitely john mulaney uh uh, George Carlin and probably Kyle Kinane. Yeah, yeah. Kyle Kinane is said on this podcast more than any other comic. That was so interesting. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I would say I would say those three for sure. That's I, cool. I actually got to meet and hang out with Kyle Kinane one time. Um, he had a show here with uh, Chris Thayer and um, 
Polycasius, just up the street actually. At 191. 191. Yep. Yeah, and I was like, hey, I came around the side and I was like, hey, Polly, can I like meet Kyle and like we can hang out? And he's like, yeah, sure, come on. And so we like hung out and we went out for drinks. And I got too drunk, and I think <laughs> I think I was accidentally doing like a Kyle Kinane voice most of the night, and I wasn't really talking to him. It was like I was talking to Polly's wife, and then he and Chris and um, Kyle Kinane were like on this other edge of this table talking and I'm always really loud when I'm drunk and I'm pretty sure I just kept slipping like just unconsciously into that voice and I was just like and then I, when I left I was just like oh my god I just met one of my favorite comics in the world and I think I might have been accidentally mocking him <laughs> 100% of the time. Super so loud hopefully, too. Yeah. So hopefully when he comes back around to town, I can see him and I'm going to be like, hey man, I don't even know if you remember, but I really want to apologize. <laughs> I got really drunk because I was nervous because you're one of my favorite comics. And I think, and I just do this thing where like I pick up on people's voices around me. It's just like a thing I do. And I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> so yeah, that would, those would be my three. Um, That's a solid tour, man. I would do, here's the thing. I hear John Mulaney is actually a bit of a dick. But I think it would be good to like see his craft being done, like made like from, like like from like scratch and stuff. I just yeah. think that'd be really good to see. So I, that one I wouldn't be like. I'm, I think I'm gonna have a good time hanging out with John Mulaney. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he is a super nice guy, but like the word on the street from what I heard is that he's kind of he's a, he's a bit of a dick. Normally, when that leaks out, it's normally true because yeah. that's normally other comics talking about a comic that they've toured with. But Kyle Kinane. Super cool. Yeah. And I met him. He was super nice. Um, and uh, George Carlin, I just feel like, um, like who wouldn't want to like just have that classic 24 yeah. hours a day with him for six months? Mm-hmm. If I, if it had to be all living comics, I would switch him out for David Cross. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. David Cross is one of my favorites as well. Yeah. Me too. I like that. And uh, we can have guest uh, spots from Pat Oswalt. I'm just making like a huge long story. Say, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know, my favorite. Why don't you guys want to just hear my five favorite comments? <laughs> sure. Go right now. <laughs> you were probably the quickest to list out three names. Boom, boom, boom. Like out of any other guest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, those are the three guys that I, I mean, Carlin was the most formative for me because I grew up watching him probably the most because we had HBO growing up. And he, he had, you know, his special every year. Mm-hmm. And so I saw his stuff and then they'd rerun it late at night. I, I've watched so much stand-up comedy in my life, like since I was like, really young. So he was really formative. And then um, Kyle Kinane has a certain style of comedy that I really respect. Like, and I, and um, like, it's, I just, I, I want like, I don't know if I want to be, I want to be more like him, but like, I, like he has a style that almost more than anyone else I would want to be able to emulate. And then John Mulaney is just like, he's like the best comic working right now. He's just, he's just unbelievably good. Like everything he does on the, uh, in his, in his specials is like 10 out of 10, mm-hmm. like top tier, like perfection. It's a good tour for sure. And I think that's uh, Technique with Nick Chant and Chris Quinn. Uh, Eli, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, oddly enough, at EliWT. No, that's an easy one. Yeah. And uh, keep you're an eye out for Keep Tucson Sketchy. Yeah. That's, uh, follow, follow Keep Tucson Sketchy on Facebook. We send out um, show dates. You get promo codes and, uh, for, for cheaper tickets and stuff. And um, you get sneak peeks at videos and things like that. So follow Keep Tucson Sketchy on Instagram and on uh, Facebook for sure. All right. And thank you, Eli. Thank you, Nick. And I'm Chris Quinn, uh, C. Quinn Comedy. And uh, at Nick Chant Comedy, Facebook and Instagram. 
All right. Thanks, Eli. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you.